Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. We all have inner work to do. Real life, real faith is an opportunity to connect with Cheryl and her guests as they take you on a journey to help you become your authentic self. Whether you need help goal setting, developing coping skills, or connecting with a power greater than yourself, Cheryl is here to walk with you on your path to personal transformation. Get inspired as Cheryl lets you become an active participant or just sit back and glean from the messages delivered. It's Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Tonight, we are excited to present to you uh, none other than Justin Peck. And um, Justin has a very riveting story, one that I think needs to be told, because many times um, we find ourselves in situations where we believe that mental health issues or mental illness is something that is taboo. We don't like to talk about it. We like to sweep it under the rug. We don't want anybody to know that we are dealing with it in our families. We don't want anybody to know that we um, are having issues, that we're suffering, or you know that we're having thoughts that are not um, perceived by others to be natural thoughts and what have you. And I think that it is a blessing. I think that it is a, a, a godsend. I think that it's wonderful that Justin does not mind telling his story and letting people know exactly what he has been dealing with um, with regards to his bipolar issues. Um, I, I don't mind being transparent uh, this evening and letting you know that in my own family, I have had to deal with a similar situation, um, something that I never would have thought that I would be dealing with probably for the past five years or so with a family member that is extremely close to me. And I had to really uh, push myself into that arena to really understand what we were dealing with and, and what we needed to do in order to proceed further. Um, years ago, I, I sat on a board with the Mental Health Association, and I went through different classes, and I learned about different types of issues that uh, we deal with with regards to our mental health. But, I, I, you know, it was sort of a tertiary kind of understanding. You really don't uh, know what you're dealing with unless you experience it firsthand, unless you experience it firsthand either uh, with yourself or with someone that you love very dearly. So I think that it is um, extremely commendable that Justin doesn't mind telling his story, doesn't mind sharing what he has been through, sharing his, uh, his, his, in my opinion, his triumph over the issues that he's been dealing with. And I just want to welcome Justin Peck to the show on tonight. Justin, thank you so much for joining us here this evening. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Justin, if you don't mind, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your bipolar uh, issue. Because before before I had to deal with it in my family, I didn't even realize that there were different spectrums of, of bipolar 
um, illness or, you know, that some was worse than the other. I just, you know, people said bipolar, and I thought, okay, you, okay, we just deal with that, and, and how do we move forward? But there are different spectrums of it. Could you explain what you deal with personally? Well, for me, you're right. So the, so there is um, different ranges of the of the disorder. <clears throat> the way that I like to, um, and kind of first and foremost, I'd like to say that I don't, for me, I don't consider it an illness. I don't consider it uh, anything negative. I've always considered the, the bipolar as a as a mental blessing, uh, mostly because Ooh. I wouldn't be the person I won't I wouldn't be the person who I am today without having the struggles and the and the things that I've been through. Right. So. <clears throat> so on the um on the spectrum of things, I mean you know, there's a class one, a class two um type bipolar disorder. The class two is, is more of like the short term. Uh you know, you will be in the depressive state for a couple weeks, mania the mania for a couple weeks. Um class one is more of um you'll be in depressive for six months and mania for six months. Um so what I have is is the class one side of things. Uh, my uh, my mental blessing, right? Um, the the, the mm-hmm. bipolar side of me, it is it's a very interesting ride, and you know I would have to say that you know I I realized that I had it. I was diagnosed with it about 11 years ago, and uh, when I when I realized that we had it, and when it was on a piece of paper saying that I had it, I kind of looked back to the life through my life and under, you know, kind of understood that I've had it for probably 35 years now and that it's not something that just goes away. I think that's kind of the, uh, some of the perception that the people have, you know, especially with me because I am very, very raw and very open and very honest about this um, now. Uh, but I wasn't back, you know, th- even three or four years ago. I mean, it was still kind of that dirty little secret for me. So, but I'm very open and honest with it, and and so kind of, in my opinion, some of the perception is is like that he's you know he's beat bipolar disorder. And that's not that's not necessarily the case. You know, you know, I still wake up every morning, want, wondering if I should get out of bed or you know wondering what I should do. I still have crazy thoughts, and I still go through through different phases of it. But but at the end, you know, it's it's just a struggle that I'm blessed with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love the way that you put that. You you feel like it's a struggle that you've been blessed with because at the end of the day, all of us have issues and have things that we struggle with. And this is just one of those things that, that it has been put in your path that's a part of your journey. And I think that it's great that you, you kind of embrace it or, or see it the way that you do. So tell us, what are those ebbs and tides like for you when you go through, because I, I also am a, um, a medical student educator by, by profession, and we oh, talk wow. about, what the, yeah, about what that looks like. And, you know, it's one thing to have depression where, you know, someone in your family may die or um, uh, a particular issue, you may you may lose your job, your relationship may uh, break up or whatever the case may be, and you may be depressed for a couple of days, a week, or something like that. But for somebody that's bipolar or somebody that is experiencing this depression through um, a blessing, as you put it, 
it, it's a little bit different. It, it, it's a little bit more difficult to overcome because it kind of messes up your quality of life. Can you can you walk us through that and what that looks like for you? Yeah. So uh, so what it looks like for me, and this is <clears throat> this is sometimes kind of a hard concept for people to kind of grasp, uh, but it's one of the things that that's taken me a while to to kind of figure out, you know, as well. But being bipolar, having the different sides of bipolar, whether it be depressive or mania, when I'm in those phases, I don't necessarily know that I'm in those phases. So, mm-hmm. for example, if it, when I'm in when I'm in a manic state, you know, when I go through a manic phase of, you know, six to seven months, I'm really motivated. I have a lot of ambition. I work really hard. I race faster. I Everything seems clear and focused and and on point. To me, when I'm living through that, it feels normal. It feels like it feels incredible. And so I don't feel like mm-hmm. there's anything wrong with me. However, friends and family and the people that are close to me, they will tap me on the shoulder and say, okay, you're a little too much for us to handle. You're going crazy or you're doing this or you're spending too much money or you or you're risking more than than you probably should. And so it takes the, the close family members around me and the people who know me and who love me to kind of bring that to my attention. Now, on the reverse side of that, with the, with the depressive side of things, <clears throat> I look at it as, you know, if I don't want to get out of bed in, in the morning, right, I don't, like, I don't get mm-hmm. up. And sometimes, and sometimes that turns into staying in bed for a couple weeks. So for me, I look at it as I rationalize in my brain that, okay, my body just needs rest and I need to, you know, refocus on things and, and kind of get out of the, out of the, the low place that I'm at. But it typically takes, here again, a family member or someone coming over, grabbing me, saying, all right, look, let's go outside in the sunshine. Let's go out and let's go do something. So, so you know, that's kind of the, as you said, the ebb and flow of, of everything on my end is there, the visible signs to the people who know me are there. But while I'm actually experiencing it, I don't, I don't really know. I just know that what people are telling me that I'm doing and how I'm acting a little bit different. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, uh, Justin, if you had asked me that five years ago, I probably I would have said, said no. But because, like yep. I said, I've been experiencing that with someone that is very close to me, I it absolutely makes sense to me. And I think that it is important um, to know that you respond to that because sometimes it can be difficult if the person that you're dealing with that's having these, these thoughts in their head and they're thinking that it's totally okay, uh, responds to the fact that you tell them, okay, you're acting a little bit different now. You, it's not quite right. It seems like you're going into one of your phases and that they recognize that and are able to um, course correct or adjust or I don't know, I don't know what even the word is that you would use with that situation. But, yes, it absolutely makes sense to me. Now, I know that um, based on the biography that I received that you, you drove to the top of a mountain, you put a pistol to your temple, and then you pull the trigger. But when the, the bullet refused to fire, it was sort of a wake-up call for you. Um, so what is it that, that kind of drove you to that dark place? 
Well, so I it, I had gone through kind of a depressive state for I was probably in it for you know here again six or seven months. Um, a lot of it was back then, uh, you know, ten fifteen years ago. I was still hiding it, and I didn't I didn't even necessarily know what I was what I was experiencing and what was going on. And so, being married, being the man of the house, you know, having to provide for my family, it was really really hard for me to just stay in bed for weeks at a time. And so I kind of got into this habit is, uh, you know, instead of having my wife thinking that I'm lazy or, or any of the, the negative thoughts that she could possibly have, I would actually leave the house, act like I'm going to work, and then end up somewhere, you know, in, in the mountains and just sleep in my truck for the rest of the day. So yeah. so what what I did on that particular day is, you know, I I woke up like I typically did. And I kissed her. I went upstairs. I kissed the kids. I went, <clears throat> I went out back and grabbed my dog. And then, you know, my dog and I went to work. So I ended up on the top top of this canyon. And it was, um, I mean, it was just kind of one of those surreal moments where the dog's running around and she's happy. But I'm in, I have this, just this deep, dark despair that's going on. And in one brief moment of irrational thinking I did like I I grabbed the pistol I loaded it I put it to my head and I pulled the trigger and of course the outcome wasn't what I expected I you know I got all like I was a click out of the deal and the wake up the wake up call for me was that when that happened the adrenaline that pumped through my body was so intense that it took me out of the low the low place that I was at and immediately threw me into a mania phase. And that's, that's kind of where I realized it's like, all right, there's some type of chemical imbalance. There's something going on that I need to, I need to research a little bit more. And so, you know, I, when I was driving back down the Canyon, I called my doctor and kind of explained everything to him. And, and I went in to his office that day and, you know, we'd, we did blood work and, and we did, you know, kind of filled out the questionnaire forms and stuff. And it took, you know, 30 days or so. And we, that's kind of when we, we put the, the bipolar, the class one bipolar to, you know, saying, this is what, this is what I have. And, but it took, it took that extreme for me to realize for me. Now, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that other people don't have to experience that part of it, but, but for me, that was the wake-up call. That was the, all right, there's a purpose here. There's a reason why I'm still breathing. There's a reason why I still, you know, I, that I'm still here. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I know that I have class 1 bipolar disorder, and I accept that, and I own that. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm not ashamed of it, and now that I'm trying to end the stigma, I I want to be able to be open about it, and I want to talk about it with everybody that I possibly can so that I can relate and so other people can relate to me about the experiences that, that they're going through. And one of the ways that you've done that is by writing the book Bulletproof. And um, that is, I have to just tell you again, I, based on the things that I've gone through and having to go in and try to find out more information about what that looks like, 
you know, what, what the person may be dealing with, how I as a family member can assist them through what they're dealing with. Um, it, it is an amazing, amazing piece of work. How did your bulletproof experiences, um, what, or, or maybe I should ask, what from your bulletproof experiences can you pass on now to help other people? Well, I, uh, for me, I like to be able to to give the perspective or give kind of the vision of what it's like to live through it on my side. So I don't know, like with, with family members and the people who don't have the disorder, I don't know how they perceive me. I wish I did. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that, I think that's kind of a human nature thing. We always like to see how other people perceive us, but but you know there there were several reasons for writing the book yeah, i mean the the main reason was to be able to leave a legacy for my children so they could read about their dad and and kind of some of the crazy things that i've done throughout my days but but it also gives the opportunity for me to explain to other people who read the book on what it's like to physically live with the disorder uh, the way that I wrote it, it was, you know, I could explain a circumstance, but then in, in different colored lettering and, and words, I can kind of explain what's actually going through my mind. And so uh, it's more of just for me, it's it's being able to put something out there that people can relate to. And if they relate mm-hmm. to it and, and they can read the book and say, wow, like I like this, these are the same feelings that I that I've felt and they understand that I have bipolar disorder, then maybe they'll look, maybe they'll search, maybe they'll ask and, and find out, you know, maybe they have it or maybe they have a different type of mental health issue. Right. Well, Justin, before uh, we leave, I want you to get, um, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you, how they can um, get a copy of the book Bulletproof and let them know whatever you have that's coming up on the horizon. Yeah, so you can get the book um, on Amazon. Uh, we actually did just hit the the Amazon bestseller list, which was uh, I was pretty excited about. Um, if you go to my website, uh, justinpeck.com, we've got all the versions there as well on the website. There's also uh, – I have a, a blog that I keep I'm pretty focused on to kind of help on both sides of the spectrum on people who – who live with the disorder, and then people who are trying to live with someone with the disorder. So, you know, I try to give a lot of good information on that. Um, you know, and then, of, of course, the the typical social media stuff, you know, Justin Peck there, and and then, you know, my race team and, you know, those type of things. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us all tonight and sharing your story. It has truly been um, uplifting for me, and it has given me a beacon of hope to know that people can live with bipolar disorder. With and I love the way that you put it that it is a blessing that you've been given. It, it's given me a whole new perspective. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. I do appreciate your time. Absolutely, everybody. We've been speaking with uh, Justin Peck. Um, he's been discussing his uh, bipolar disorder. He has actually. Um, type 1 bipolar disorder. He says it is a blessing and it is a, a part of his journey, and we appreciate for him, him for that. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy 
who are disaster survival experts. They want to help you to be able to prepare for handling a family emergency when medical emergency personnel may not be available. We'll be back in just a moment on Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. This is the news. This morning, we are saluting the 2.2 million women who have joined in the war effort. They now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. The prestigious Harvard Medical School is breaking ground today, opening its doors to new female applicants. Today, little girls all over the world look to the sky, where the first woman is now in space. Military stereotypes are challenged today with the trailblazing promotion of a U.S. female officer to four-star general. It was just announced that the vast majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. Welcome back, everybody, to Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Um, this evening, we have been speaking with Justin Peck about his bipolar disorder. And now we're going to speak with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. They're going to tell us about what it means to uh, survive in a situation where maybe medical personnel may not be available. And this is particularly of interest to me because I do train medical personnel, allied healthcare professionals to be exact. And um, that, you know, that with all of the different things that have been going on, you know, we had Katrina, we had um, we've had tornadoes, we've had a lot of different phenomena that we may not be very familiar with, at least I know I'm not familiar with, because, you know, I've been here 50 years now, going on 51, and some of the things that I'm seeing now, I don't know that I've ever seen before. So I think that it um, says something for us to try to be prepared when these particular things happen. So we want to welcome to the broadcast on tonight. I know that Dr. Bones is there. I'm not sure if Nurse Amy is there, but I've talked to Dr. Bones. Dr. Bones, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. And Nurse Amy, if you're there, thank you as well. Thank you, Cheryl, for having us. Amy is here. I'm here, but I'm I'm going to let him hey, do Amy. most of the interview. <laughs> Hi, Cheryl. I'll, I'll okay. pop, pop in. I'll, I'll add my two cents every once in a while. It's, it's just difficult for Wonderful. us. We're like twins. We're like twins. Okay. We finish each other's sentences. <laughs> okay, so listen, tell us what, what survival medicine is about, because I don't know if everybody has ever heard that terminology before. What is survival medicine? Well, survival medicine is an approach to medical issues that differs from modern, let's say, emergency medicine in what I call a very, very basic way, and that's its primary goal. I mean, that's how different it is. What's your goal, Cheryl, when you come across somebody that's injured or ill on the street? You know, you want to stabilize that person. You want to transport them to a medical facility. But what if that option wasn't available to you because there was a disaster situation that put you, let's say, off the grid or remote location? Let's say you live in a remote homestead. You don't live in the middle of the city. You live 30 minutes away from the nearest hospital. So we have we decided to write about survival medicine and how to combine the use of conventional techniques, improvisation, natural remedies to achieve the best results 
for the patient when the ambulance is just not on the way? You know, it's interesting that you talk about that because I can remember um, it's been several years now. I've known how to do CPR since I was about 15, 16 years old. And I don't mind telling everybody I'm about 50. I, I am 50 years old now. About 10 years ago or so, we were doing some um, preventive type services in some Walmart in Florida. And it took us to some rural parts of Florida and it just so happened that while we were there, it was, it was myself who was a nurse practitioner. It was an EMT, another nurse. And actually, the situation occurred in the pharmacy. But this was a rural area of Florida. The man was literally having a heart attack. He was a very um, heavy man. He, he was 400 pounds plus. And between, like, the five of us, we were all trying to do CPR and what have you to revive him, and we did manage to do so, but it took the emergency medical services about 45 minutes to get there. So I understand what that looks like. And there are times when you're just in a situation where you cannot, or I don't want to say you cannot count on emergency services, but they, they just may not be able to get to you in a timely fashion. So I think that we all do definitely need to have some uh, skills or first aid skills or safety skills or something that can get us through until somebody else can come in and assist us. So I, I wanted to ask you this. What are, what are maybe your top five survival skills or your top five first aid or safety skills that you think could potentially save a life until somebody can get there to help? Well, one of them that is very, very important and, and really is a not, not only a survival skill but a medical skill is actually the ability the simple ability to sterilize water. You know, the water in a lot of disasters and floods and, uh, and, and many other uh, catastrophes uh, is not clean water. It is water that is oftentimes contaminated. Even the clearest mountain stream sometimes has organisms in it that can cause uh, major illness. And so the, important, uh, the importance of sterilizing, purifying water so that it's safe to drink, that's one of them. And, of course, you always have to properly prepare food, make sure that food is adequately cooked. That is something that's very important. It's thought that the Ebola epidemic was started by uh, the folks in uh, Liberia not properly cooking or thoroughly cooking uh, some of the bush meat that they, that they ate over there and uh, wound up having uh, viruses from the Ebola virus from, I think, bats and uh, fruit bats uh, actually go over and actually infect people. So that's very important also. Of course, there's always the possibility in, in a remote homestead, in the wilderness, or in a, in a, let's say, after a tornado or a hurricane, to have traumatic events. And so, therefore, it's important to know how to control hemorrhage. It's important to know how to deal with orthopedic injuries. Uh, how to? It, it's also important how to uh, to know how to use medicines and even alternative remedies. There are some circumstances where you may run out of medicines, and you might need to use some of what's in nature's bounty. Uh, some of the, some plants in your own backyard could have medicinal properties that might be beneficial, and so it's good to know that too. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, you're absolutely right. I have aloe vera in my backyard, and I know that there are medicinal purposes for my aloe vera. So that's why it's back there. I already mm-hmm. know that. <laughs> it's great for burns, Cheryl. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, what are, if you had to come up with some survival gear, some things that you wanted to have available to you um, in case of emergencies, what, what would some of that, what would some of that look like? Now, that would depend on the emergency. Of course, if it was a bleeding wound, you'd want to have a tourniquet. You want to have compression bandages. You want to have blood clotting agents. In the old days, they used to say that tourniquets are uh, something you should use as a last resorts, uh, resort. But, you know, the military experience in Iraq and Afghanistan, Afghanistan has taught us that one in five deaths from hemorrhage can be prevented by quick action at the scene. And so now it's recommended to use tourniquets sometimes as a first resort when the bleeding is obviously significant. So that's, that's one thing uh, for bleeding wounds. You want to use, have those things for orthopedic injuries. You want to have splints. You want to have wraps. You want to have casting material. For infectious diseases, you want to have antiseptics. You want to have dressings for infected wounds. You want to have antibiotics. And so you can see that the gear varies a little bit depending on the medical issue that you're dealing with and confronted with at the time. Mm-hmm. So now when, when I teach my, my students, when we go through um, CPR, first aid, that whole nine, nine yards, I actually um, – try to assist them in identifying ways that they can create some of these things uh, through their, you know, at home, that they don't have to really go out and buy these things. So I try to show them how to take um, something like old sheets and, and cut those up to create splints or to create um, uh, bandages where if someone breaks their arm, they can use it for that. Or um, like you said, things that are around the house, where it doesn't have to become extremely expensive, but you have some items that you can utilize in case of an emergency or a disaster because we, we never know. Those things come about very, very quickly, and we, we don't really understand or know when they may happen, but it's important for us to be able to identify how we can survive in a situation like that. So, you know, we hear people talk a lot about being survivalists, if you had to tell someone about being a survivalist, what are some of the tips that you might give them in order to help them get started in that job? Because I think that we all need to be aware of these things right now because that's kind of the world that we're living in. Oh, I'll say there you can't really read the news without some disaster occurring. We have What do we have today? We have a blizzard in the northeast, so all this all yes. this snow on yes. all this ice cold temperatures people could be at risk for hypothermia they could be uh stranded in a car and it's so important to be prepared so if i had to talk to a starting survivalist and give them five tips the number one thing i would say is get your food water and shelter dealt with in other words you have to decide that if you were in a, a disaster situation, were you going? Are you going to try to wait it out at home? Let's say, uh, uh, sit out a hurricane at home, for example, or are you going to have to hit the road if, uh, for example, if a tornado is heading your way? That's that's one thing, and you have to be prepared with uh, trigger points. In other words, decision 
events that make the decision for you as to whether you're going to stay at home or whether you're going to be hitting the road. Now, the other things that are very important are that you have to absolutely have the materials to purify water and prepare food safely. I can't emphasize that enough that the most avoidable deaths that will occur in any long-term survival setting are going to be due to contamination of food and water. So it's important to Mm -hmm. know how to purify water and how to prepare food safely. You have to know how to safely dispose of human waste. Also, you can, you can absolutely wind up having an an epidemic of infectious disease in, in your, in your family or among your people. If you don't know how to do that. So that's important to learn how to do that. And of course, classes like you teach, Cheryl, are very, very important. Classes like CERT also, CPR, uh, basic first aid, things that will help you respond to emergencies. We teach that also, but we teach it in it with a twist. We teach it in a fashion that instead of our goal being stabilize and transport and or evacuate, our Basically, we talk to people and tell them what would or teach them what to do if they were the end of the road with regards to that particular injury or illness, whether they it, we assume that they, because of some disaster, have to deal with the problem from beginning to end, from the incurrence uh, of the injury to a full recovery. And that's what our goal is to make people effective in dealing with that. Okay, so Dr. Bones, you brought it up. How would you dispose of medical waste in one of these situations? Well, I think that it is very important to make sure that your uh, that the waste is in a one area, and in other words, you learn how to build a latrine, for example, if you if you're with a community mm-hmm. uh, that in which mm-hmm. everybody is in the same place, and that and that latrine has to be. 200 feet at least from your water source. If it's too close to the water source, it will contaminate the water and will get you in big, big trouble. Also, simple things like just enforcing the washing of hands. That's going to go a long way to preventing mm-hmm. infectious disease from running rampant among your people. And, and for that reason, I list simple things like soap as a medical item that you should be accumulating in quantity. You know what, it is so funny that you say that, especially in light of the, you know, one of the one of the biggest culprits in, in medical facilities, especially hospitals, being nosocomial infections, which we know are usually caused by the fact that people just are not washing their hands. And, and I always try to remind my students that that is probably the number one thing that you can do to um, help with infection control, to keep infections from spreading, just simply washing your hands. So I think that it's, that it's great that you mentioned that, especially um, in light of the fact that you're, you're mentioning it in a survivalist-type situation. I mean, a hospital should be um, germ-free or, or should be a place where you can go and not worry about getting an additional infection to whatever it was that you came in there for, but we know that those nosocomial infections exist, and part of it is because of the fact that people don't wash their hands enough. So I think that that's a great thing that you mentioned, and soap and water is is one of the best ways to make that happen. Now, I know that you have an amazing book. 
the Survival Medicine Handbook, which is a guide for when help is not on the way. I want you to be able to tell our listeners a little bit about that and how they can get a copy of that. Oh, absolutely. Our book is now on its 700-page third edition. Wow. wow. Uh, it is, it's, it's called the Survival Medicine Handbook, the Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. It covers 150 medical topics with the mindset that the average person, due to some disaster or wilderness situation or a remote location, is the end of the line with regards to their family's health. And the book aims to make that person effective in a medical role when they have to be. From front cover to back, this book is different from other medical books in that it never says to go to the doctor or go to the hospital because it assumes that something has happened and they no longer exist for the foreseeable future mm-hmm. and that you have to mm-hmm. take charge. We are, we are there to empower people to be able to be more medically self-reliant in bad times and maybe even in, maybe even in good times. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, tell us a little bit about your um, how people can contact you, how they can find out more about the things that you're teaching, how to become survivalists, and about your website. Absolutely, doomandbloom.net. It's not doom and gloom. It's doom and bloom, like the flower, is a medical website. It covers topics related to wilderness, homestead, disaster medicine, and we now are closing in on our 1,000th article it is, uh, it's been around for a few years now, and we put up a lot of content there. And our mission is very simple, to put a medically prepared person in every family. You'll find the website at doomandbloom.net, and you'll find our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook. At, uh, it is third edition. You'll find it on Amazon.com, and you can... Uh, Follow us on our uh, medical uh, on our YouTube channel, Doctor Bones Nurse Amy. We have all sorts of different resources for you, more content than you can imagine. And uh, our our job is to save lives, and we and to populate our country with medics, with people that are willing to help and provide medical care in disasters and other situations. And uh, if we can do that, I mean, have no doubt, Cheryl, we will save lives. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Nurse Amy, listen, I know that we nurses make our doctors look really good. So, Nurse Amy, I need you to tell me at least a little bit about yourself and how you fit into this picture. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner. I went to an all-women's Catholic nursing school, and then I got a master's degree at University of Miami. Um, I am the partner in this uh, adventure of teaching folks. Um, my main contribution has been uh, the gardening videos, if you'll notice that. Also, um, I am the primary designer of our medical kit line. Um, I do a ton of research. You know, what are some issues that would happen in, let's say, if you had a car kit? What are the things that you're going to probably face? If you are hiking, what are you going to need in a small kit that's portable and lightweight? So kits Mm -hmm. are my thing. I also love to do uh, herbal medicine. I am by no means an expert. (laughs) Um, But, you know, over the years I've learned a lot. We do grow a lot of medicinal herbs. We're very lucky being in South Florida that we have the weather that 
promotes the growth year-round pretty much of a lot of uh, wonderful things, and we try to grow them as much as possible, and, and we try to learn about them when we're growing them. And so in the book, you will find not only traditional medicine, but you'll find whenever possible some remedies that you may find in the area around you in a forest or a field or possibly something that you're growing in your garden. We want people to use all the tools in the medical woodshed. Wow. So so I'm in Houston, Texas, and I just want to throw this out. I'm in Houston, so our climate is not very much different from you all's climate. What are some of the things that you think that, um, or, or maybe some of the things that you're growing that are beneficial to people with regards to um, medicinal purposes. Because I, I just went today and I got lots of, um, I got some flax seeds, I got some kai seeds, I got some uh, broccoli. My, my mother and father, they are in their 80s, well in their 80s, and they have a garden back, a garden, and, and they grow tomatoes and okra and, you know, all kinds of green vegetables and things like that herbs, all of that. So what are some of the things that come to your mind quickly that um, you think that we might need to have in our uh, repertoire? Well, I think that we have uh, we have citronella where we are, and I believe that your climate should be able to allow that to grow. I know that uh, Houston actually uh, has a mosquito population, and if you grow citronella, yes. you can actually <laughs> just take the leaves and that's like a yep. weed. That thing, you can't, you can't kill citronella. Right. In yeah. fact, put it in a pot okay. because if you put it out in your garden, you may turn around in a year and find that you have an entire house surrounded by citronella. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, okay. and just take the leaves and just and just rub it on, on your skin. It smells good. And also it is a great mosquito repellent. So that's one, that's one thing we uh, also recommend a lot. Rosemary uh, is... Um, excellent for a number a number of issues. Antiseptic. An- as an antiseptic. Peppermints are easily grown uh, in our area, so uh, you we can make wonderful. My mom and dad have peppermint in their yard. Yep. Yes. Okay. Now you can crush that up, uh, make a tea, and let the mm-hmm. tea cool off. And you can put that on a washcloth or two. Put that in the freezer mm-hmm. and then take that out and put it on your forehead and your neck if you have a migraine or a headache. That peppermint tea on that, that iced cloth, that solid iced cloth. Nurse Amy, Slap that on your forehead. Nurse Amy, yeah. you're, 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 you're a woman, and I'm a woman, and I, like I said earlier, I'm 50 going to 51. Is that peppermint going to help my hot flashes? I just need to know. <laughs> Oh, honey, there's, I, I, I have, I, I understand, and I'm actually older than you are, honey, uh, by a year, okay? okay. okay. Yes, yeah, so I, I've been there, done that, and um, I have to say that um, I'm taking hormones. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're natural, okay. Well, okay. but I'm taking them. I had to break down. It was too much. <laughs> I needed my mind. My mind was going. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Listen, I have so enjoyed talking to the two of you. Thank you so much for joining me tonight on Real Life, Real Faith. It has truly been a, a blessing. You guys, make sure you go out to their website, doomandbloom.net. Can we also go there and get some of the kits that you were referring to earlier? Oh, absolutely. Amy has an entire line of medical kits, everything from just the the casual hiker all the way to the person that's going to be responsible for a mission to a third world country. Oh boy. She's got, 
honestly, uh, she's often imitated but never equaled. <laughs> He's so sweet. The link um, to the store is found on doomandbloom.net um, on both the left and the right-hand sides of the website as you scroll down. So you'll, it's really easy to get to the store. Okay, okay. Thank you both so much for joining us here tonight. I certainly appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome, Cheryl. You be safe now. Thanks, Cheryl. You as well. You as well. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We've talked to um, a set of really wonderful guests. We talked to Justin Peck earlier about his bipolar disorder. Make sure you go out to justinpeck.com to find out more about him and bipolar disorder. And definitely, definitely go out and visit Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy at doomandbloom.net. Make sure you get some of those kits that they have available for you because we never know what type of situation we may be in. Um, you can ask the, the people that were involved in Katrina, some of the people that were involved here in Houston, Texas with uh, Hurricane Ike. You just never know, and it's always a good idea to be prepared, whether you want to call it being a survivalist or just being prepared for, for whatever will happen. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us here on tonight. Join us next week again here at Real Life Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Make sure to try to connect with us on Facebook, Real Life Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan, on Twitter at Real Faith Mag, and also on Instagram at Real Life Real Faith. And as always, we want to remind you that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. Be blessed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.